you have your Bibles with you, and we're encouraging you to bring your Bibles to church these days. Uh, we are going to be reading from the book of Luke as we stream through, speed through the book of Luke. We're already up to verse 8, and uh, we'll spend a couple weeks probably on these couple verses. I want to just say how much I appreciate Ephraim last week being here. I, I heard his message on Saturday night. I think that Superman-Batman analogy is one of the best analogies I've ever heard in my life. I just, I just nailed it. And uh, it, it's really fun to do this. Uh, he comes over here and you know, shoots his best stuff. I go over to Sanctuary, you know, shoot my best stuff. We get a break, you get a break, everyone's happy, and, and the church is functioning. I really believe in cross-pollinization. I, I really think that's a good way to do it, to hear from different styles and, and uh, different approaches and, and whatnot. So uh, that's a good thing. It's a cool thing we have with this one kingdom that we're doing with Sanctuary and Open Door, and hopefully there'll be others uh, joining with us uh, in the future. I'm going to title this message from Luke chapter 1, verses 8 and through 10. I want to uh, entitle it, Smelling Good, or Smell Good, or Smell Good to God, or God Smells Good, or something, some combination of those words. I have, just so you know, I'm in a, one of my manic modes, and, uh, uh-oh, yeah, so that means I, I didn't sleep hardly at all last night because I got thoughts that I can't turn off, and, and so I'm strung out on coffee, and then we have a worship set like we just had, uh, and so I'm bouncing around screaming and getting all hot. Is the air conditioning even working in here? I, you know, we, we've got a, a, of the offering so we can afford to turn on the air conditioning or something. Um, and so I, I'm exhausted, but uh, I know that when I am weak, God is strong, and that's a good thing. So Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, and I'm going to read uh, from the TNIV version. It says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. I'm trying to get my mints open as I do this. I can't multitask. He was uh, chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Just pause there for a moment. Uh, as we said a couple weeks ago when we dealt with uh, the earlier passages, um, these are all the descendants of Aaron whose job it was to minister in the, in the temple and take care of the temple and things of that sort. And there was 12 divisions of them, and they would rotate every week in, in terms of what division was in charge of the temple. Zechariah was in the, a division headed up by this guy named Abijah. And what they do is daily they would draw lots to see who got the honor of going into the, the inner court and uh, 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 making this incense offering. There was, uh, so far as we can tell, probably around 18,000 priests um, that were descendants of Aaron at this time. And so each division, uh, each of the 12 divisions probably had somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 priests. And so it was, it was considered a great honor, perhaps the honor of a lifetime, to be chosen by lot uh, to do this uh, service. And Zechariah was chosen at this time. And then it says, And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Basically what happened in ancient Israel is they would have two church services a day, and anyone who wanted to come uh, in Jerusalem could come. Um, they would gather at 6 in the morning for an hour and 3 in the afternoon for an hour. That's why in Acts 3 you find Peter and John. It says they went to the synagogue, they went to the temple uh, for the hour of prayer. It was an hour of prayer and an hour of worship. And all during that hour, one person from among the crowd, the crowd was in the outer court, one person, the priest that was chosen, would go in and light the incense that was there. So I want to talk about smelling good. 
Let's pray for the message, and can I get some people around the auditorium who will just keep me covered in prayer uh, that this past message would have all the power it needs to have in our life. All right, thanks. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would anoint this message uh, and give it your authority and give it a power to change us, to challenge us, to reframe our lives, to free us from the indoctrination of our culture in every respect in which it, it is not in a line with your will. Make us, Lord God, people who really know our identity as walking, talking temples of God and people, Lord, whose lives is a sweet aroma before you. Make it come alive, Lord God. Open our, bring revelation into our minds and our hearts and change us. Otherwise, this is all silliness. So, Lord, uh, Holy Spirit, I can't do that with my words. Uh, we need you to do it, Lord. Work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So they had, uh, in, the, in the temple, as some of you know, there's three divisions. Uh, one, there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and there was the Holy of Holies. When people would gather uh, to do their ordinary sacrifices and uh, gather to uh, pray and worship on a daily basis, they were in the outer court. The priest that was chosen, who, the priest from the division that was in charge on that particular day, who was chosen by Lot, would go into the inner court, and there he would offer up incense. They didn't go into the Holy of Holies. That happened only once a year, and then it was the high priest. And there was only one high priest who went into the Holy of Holies and on the Day of Atonement would, would make a, a sacrifice. And that's when, according to the Old Testament, the Lord would show up, uh, his presence would come down and show that the sacrifice was accepted. Uh, on a daily basis, as the priest who was chosen by Lot went into the inner circle, the, the inner court, he would um, light this incense and lay down on the ground, prostrate himself, which is the word uh, for worship, proskune, which means to lay down, to prostrate yourself before the Lord. And uh, he would light the incense and then pray this prayer. We get this from the Targums. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offering of the people. And what it tells us is that that incense was there to symbolically represent the offering of the people going up to God. The sacrifice of the people, the prayer of the people, and the worship of the people ascending before God. That's what the incense was there to symbolize. And so the, the, the priest would pray, Lord, accept our offering. He was just doing in a symbolic, typological, microcosm kind of way what the people were doing outside. And that's what the whole temple was about. The temple was about uh, uh, sacrificing and worshiping, praying before God. Now, why did they use incense? And the answer is kind of obvious, is that incense smells good. It's, it's pleasing to the nose. Now, that's really important. In the ancient world, smelling good was really a virtue because it didn't happen that often. You know, I'm told by a historian that if we could time travel back to any ancient city, the first thing that would hit you as you stepped out of your time machine would be the odor, would be the smell. Uh, remember, this is the time when bathing was considered a luxury. They didn't have running showers and running baths. And it's a time uh, before the invention of deodorant. And uh, toothpaste has not yet been invented. In fact, Toothbrushes have not yet been invented. Uh, Sometimes I'm amazed that they ever managed to have children back then. I mean, uh, I, I don't get how that worked, but there you go. 
you know, they, they didn't have a lot of the sanitizing things that we have today. They didn't have toilet paper, for crying out loud. Um, and I don't know, and I don't care to know, uh, you know, the problems that that caused. But, you know, it, it was such a weird world. Uh, I, we went back to Jerusalem a couple of years ago and went to a, a city there, Sepphoris. And in Sepphoris, there is this coliseum where they would have the games and, and you know, the festivities that would last all day long. And there was, you know, up to 5,000 people or so in this coliseum, which means that you had to have latrines, bathrooms for that many people. And from, the, these bathrooms have still survived today. We've, we've uncovered them archaeologically. And the guide was telling us about these bathrooms, and I've always wondered about that. You know, how, how did that work back in the ancient world? Well, you go to this public bathroom, and there's about 100 holes on this uh, Iraq. And, um, they, and they would have two boards and you'd sit on those boards. And it was, it was uh, uh, men and women would go and just take care of business there. Uh, and, and, uh, I see, and, and there's no stalls. I see, I have trouble in public with stalls. I don't know how they, if I was in the ancient world, I would have been so constipated. It would have been terrible. I would have died of some kind of uh, disease. But uh, they somehow managed. And then what they had was water that would run underneath this particular platform. And it would carry their stuff out. And that would run down the side of the roads. That was the best, sanitate, the, the best sewage system they had back then. They dig ditches alongside the road. So in normal everyday life, you've got this sewage system running down the side of the road. And the odor would be terrible. Now, of course, you get used to any odor when you're around it for a while. So they, they're pretty used to it. But... But we would be shocked by it. But this is why perfume in the ancient world, if you had some perfume that could at least cover up that, some of that smell, that was considered a real prized commodity. It was very expensive. That's why the lady who, who uh, uh, gave that or broke open that alabaster jar of, of ointment and put it on Jesus' feet, uh, that she was a prostitute and uh, that was a tool of her trade because if you wanted to be a high-class prostitute in the ancient world, you got to have expensive perfume. And so she's pouring out the tools of her trade on the feet of Jesus. And the beautiful aroma that that would fill in that room contrasts starkly with the, the ugly stench of the judgmentalism of the Pharisees there as they're looking at her. But Jesus accepts it. He doesn't ask any questions where she got the perfume or how she afforded that perfume or what she used that perfume for. What matters is that right here and right now, this lady is pouring it out at my feet. You see, that was, a, it was an act of, 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 it was a sacrifice, a tremendous sacrifice. Probably would have took her a year to save up for that uh, alabaster jar of perfume. And this is why incense in the ancient world is so important. In, in a world that has very few good odors, this smells good. Have you ever noticed, and it's strange to modern ears, but how often the Bible uses olfactory images, uh, especially in the Old Testament? Uh, God often says things like, like this in, in Leviticus chapter 1 when people would offer up sacrifices. You read this. When you're making a bull sacrifice, the Lord says, its entrails and its legs shall be washed with water. Then the priest shall turn the whole of the bull into smoke on the altar. You're going to burn that bull as a burnt offering, an offering by fire of pleasing aroma to the Lord. And over 50 times in the Old Testament, you read how the Lord would smell the sacrifice and it delighted him. Mm, I just love the smell of that burning bull or that pigeon roasting or whatever. 
Now, I, I don't think it's supposed to be taken literally, though maybe some people in the ancient world did take it literally. But it's the Lord's way of saying this. And this is why the incense offering is so important. Because it smells good not just to God, but it, smell, it smells good to us. And it's the Lord's way of teaching us that you, you know how good, how, how nice it is when, when, when you smell something pleasing? Well, that's how your sacrifice, your heart of sacrifice is to me. It, 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 it's a delight to my nostrils. Now, one other thing we got to know about incense and about the temple and sacrifice is this. According to Hebrews chapter 8 and, verse, uh, and, and chapter 10, uh, everything in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of something in the New Testament. It was, it, it was God's way of, of, of teaching humanity real basic principles, and it foreshadowed future spiritual realities. And this applies especially to the temple. Because the Bible explicitly says it applies the temple of the Old Testament uh, in the New Testament. And it does in a way that lets us know that we, individually and we collectively, are that temple. We are the spiritual reality that the Old Testament temple pointed to. And so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you, uh, within you, which you have from God, and therefore that you are not your own. He's talking to us individually. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is within you, and therefore you're not your own. He's talking to people who are involved in sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage, and he's saying, you're, you're defiling the temple of God because you are that temple. You're the reality that the Old Testament temple pointed to. And therefore, that ought to affect what you do with your life. It ought to affect how you live your life. We are individually the temple of God, individually the reality that the uh, Old Testament temple points to. But we're collectively the temple as well. And so Paul says this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And the you there is plural. You all. Do, do you not know that y'all are, are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells within you. See, that, that's the good thing about Southern dialect. They, they have a plural for you. Y'all. Y'all are God's temple and God's spirit dwells within you. We are individually and we are collectively the reality to which the Old Testament temple points. Now, to appreciate the reality, you need to appreciate how it's different from the shadow. And here's how it's different. In the shadow, in the Old Testament temple... Um, everybody had to stand on the outside in the outer court except for one person on a daily basis who could go in the inner court two times a day and that was chosen by Lot and it was a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But even he didn't go into the Holy of Holies. That happened once a year as the high priest went in to offer up uh, the sacrifice of the people. And uh, he did that with fear and trepidation. It was, an, in the Old Testament context, a, a, a scary thing to come into the presence of the all-holy God. And in fact, the, old te the high priest would wear, it says in Leviticus, wear bells on his uh, uh, pants so that the people would know if those bells ever stop ringing. When, if I stop walking around, that means I'm dead. I, I, God didn't accept the sacrifice. So once a year, one person would go into the Holy of Holies and with fear and trepidation, uh, on the Day of Atonement, make an offering before God. When Paul says, with all that in mind, he's a Jew, and, and he's, when he uses the word temple, this is the temple that he's speaking of. 
When he says you are individually and you are collectively God's temple, it is absolutely amazing. And when he says that the Spirit of God dwells within you, it is absolutely, if we understand it in its historical context, it is absolutely mind-boggling. We don't just go to the temple. In fact, we don't go to the temple because we individually and collectively, we are the temple, the whole temple. We don't just stand outside as the commoners in the outer court. We are individually and collectively, we are the outer court. We don't just get lucky once in a lifetime and get to go in the inner court and offer up incense before God. We are the inner court. But even more amazingly, we don't just uh, have to luck out and be the high priest and go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. We are the temple. We're the whole temple, which means that you're the outer court, you're the inner court. And in fact, you contain the Holy of Holies within you. And we don't go into God's presence with fear and trepidation. Rather, Paul says that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And not just once a year in an awesome, fearful kind of way, but rather all the time. When you got up this morning, as God woke you up this morning, the Holy Spirit was in you. You are the Holy of Holies, and the the Spirit of God dwells within you because you are the temple of God. There's no longer any fear or trembling about that. But rather, the Bible says in Hebrews that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We have confidence before God because the one who dwells on the throne of grace dwells within us. The Holy Spirit is within us in a permanent way. What what the high priest would experience once a year, we have all the time. But not with fear and trembling, but with joy unspeakable and full of glory. With a peace that passes understanding. The, 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 the power and the anointing and the Shekinah glory of God dwells within me right here and right now. That blows my mind. I'm the temple of God. You're the temple of God. You're the reality that the Old Testament temple pointed to. And this is why it says in the Bible that when Jesus died... Uh, The temple, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. It just supernaturally ripped asunder. Because what the Lord was was showing us in in that instant is that the Holy of Holies, this uh, sanctified, all-holy place where God dwells once a year, uh, this is now brought out of hiding, as it were. It's the, the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from just the regular priests and the Holy of Holies from the commoners and the Holy of Holies from the world, it has now been exposed to the world because Jesus Christ is the presence of God. Jesus Christ is the Holy of Holies. And as he's hanging on the cross, as it were, and as that curtain is torn asunder, it is as though God is saying, Ali, Ali, in free. <laughs> Uh, No longer do you have to have special qualifications and and have a drawing by lot to come into my presence. Rather now, anybody who, who hungers and thirsts after a righteousness that is not their own, they can come into the Holy of Holies and dwell in the house of the Lord forever, dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. But it's not just that we dwell in the presence of the Lord, though that would be mind-boggling enough, but the presence of the Lord now dwells in us. Not once a year, but permanently. He takes residence in us. We abide in him, and he abides in us. We are the temple of God. Because of the blood of Jesus, 
There's no longer any distinction between those who have to stand kind of far away and the few who can get a little bit closer and the one who can get into the presence of God. Rather now, because of the blood of Jesus, we can all draw close to the presence of God and the presence of God dwells in us. You are the temple of God. No longer is there any distinction between a high priest and the normal priest and the commoners. But we are all priests of the Most High God. And we all have direct access, access to the presence of God. You are the temple of God. The Shekinah glory, the awesome presence of the Creator, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who sustains everything in existence, the one who is light unspeakable and, and, and who is the, the, the fullness of love and joy, he dwells in you because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we together are the temple. As the called out ones from this world, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God, the reality that the Old Testament temple pointed to. Now the question is this, okay, now what? What do we do with that? And I think if we internalize this message to any extent, we'll see that it makes all the difference in the world, whether you see yourself as the temple of the Holy Spirit. But at the very least, what it means is this. We do, in reality, what the Old Testament did in a foreshadowing way. What the temple of the Old Testament was centered on was sacrifice, which included prayer and worship. That's what the incense represented because that sacrifice and the prayer and the worship smells good to God. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that means that the center of who we are is a sacrifice, which includes prayer and worship on a regular basis as part of our life that smells good to God. If we're the temple of God, our lives should smell it. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your life should smell it. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your life should smell it. It should have a particular kind of aroma before God. The offerings of the Old Testament smell good to, uh, to God, and so also a life that is lived, uh, that is involved in sacrifice, uh, before God is going to smell good to him. In a world that is full of stench, spiritual stench, we are to be the people that smell good before God. Our life, everything about our life, because this is the core defining of our life, our life is to smell good before God. Paul gets at this in a powerful way in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I, I, this is a passage that I've read many times in the last seven months. It's the one that God has grabbed me with, but I've never looked at it from the perspective of, of, of uh, aroma. But I just noticed this week that that's in this passage as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. Here's what, here's what Paul says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit is within you. That's, that's God himself. Uh, and, and it's possible to grieve him. He's in you. If you grieve him, you're going to not smell good. If you yield to him, you're going to smell good. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. One of his jobs is to keep you distinct, keep you holy, keep you separated for God until the day of redemption. Now here's what it looks like. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, brawling slander, along with every form of malice. Why? Because that stuff stinks. It's got no place for a child of God. However justified it may seem in human terms to have it, it's, it's stinking up your life. And so Paul says, get rid of it. 
If you yield to the Holy Spirit, he empowers you to get rid of all of that. And instead, what he gives you is this. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That smells great before God. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. What he's saying there is, and this is the simple mandate of the Christian life, treat everybody like God has treated you, including your enemies because you were once an enemy of God. And how did he treat you? He died for you. Treat everybody. And that smells good to God. Follow God's example. In Greek, it's mimetai. Mimic God's example. The example he gave us in Christ. Therefore, as dearly beloved children and walk in love, live in love, not just once in a while, make this your lifestyle, your walk. How? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and, and, uh, and, and sacrifice to God. Jesus smelled beautiful to God because he manifested the sacrifice of love. And we are to mimic that and therefore smell good before God. We're to be walking, talking, or uh, incense sticks, if you will, that, 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 that just are always sending off this fragrance be- before God because we look like Jesus Christ. In fact, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, Jesus Christ himself is in us, and that aroma is in us, and our only job is to yield to it, to let it, to let it out, to let it seep through us. Just like a person, you know, if a person eats, eats garlic, uh, you can smell it on them. They can brush their teeth a thousand times, but you get, cause it, it oozes through your pores. Or if you've ever come around somebody who's really, really, really intoxicated, uh, you know, it, 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 and they're sweating, it, 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 you can smell it on them. You know, it, it, it's, pushing, it's pushing itself out. Well, we ought, to, we ought to reek with Jesus Christ the way a person who's totally inebriated reeks with alcohol. In fact, the Bible says, don't get drunk with alcohol, but get drunk with the Holy Spirit. We ought to be just God-intoxicated. And if you're God-intoxicated, people are going to smell it on you. They're going to smell it on your breath. They're going to like, man, you you, you ingested something and it smells good. And uh, yield to the Holy Spirit, that fragrance. What Paul is saying here is this. Sacrifice yourself. Slay that old self with its bitterness, its wrath, its anger, its wrangling, its slander, and its malice. And if you crucify that old self, you're going to smell good before God. Put to death that inclination that you have to go your own way, to do your own thing, because it feels good and you think you have a right to it. Put that to death. You don't belong to yourself anymore. And if you put that self-inclined inclination uh, to death, it's going to smell good to God. You're sacrificing yourself before God. Uh, sacrifice that desire to be self-centered. It's going to smell good to God. Sacrifice the desire to retaliate uh, and, 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 and get even with others. That's going to smell good. That sacrifice smells good to others. Burned to a crisp every inclination you have towards violence. Violence in your behavior, and if not in your behavior, violence in your words, and if not in your words, then violence in your thoughts. And if you crucify that, if you burn that to a crisp like a bull offering on the table in the Old Testament, God's going to smell that. It's pleasing to God. That's a good aroma to God. Crucify your tendency to be self-defensive. Crucify your tendency to be self-justifying. Crucify your tendency to be self-righteous. And you're going to smell good to God. That's a, that's a pleasing aroma to God. And Paul sums it all up when he simply says this, live in love as Christ loved you. And then you will be like Christ was, an offering, a fragrant, aromatic offering before God. 
Love your enemies. It smells good before God. Forgive those who, who, who do you wrong like Christ did. It smells good before God. Bless those who persecute you like Christ did. It smells good before God. Don't return evil with evil, but return evil with good. It smells good before God. Since you are the temple of God, that's the reality, smell like it. This is the center of what the temple does. Smell like it in your life, with your sacrifice, with your prayer, with your worship. Not as something other than who you are, like something you do once a day, but rather make this your now, walk in that experience. You are a temple. At every point of the day, ask yourself the question, am I smelling good? Am I smelling good? The spiritual equivalent of going like this to check yourself. I, 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 are you living in love right now? When you smell good to God, you're going to smell good to other people. That's the, the, that was the metaphor of the incense. Uh, we could smell it like God could smell it. This is what God smells. When you smell the smell of self-sacrificial love, you smell good not only to God, you smell good to other people. And that is how, that, that's part of what attracts people to the kingdom. Have you ever been around people who, maybe they're wearing a perfume that, that, that you just love and you want to like sit next to them and you just want to be around them more? Uh, Eric was up here a little bit earlier. I don't know where he is, but he always wears patchoula oil, and I love the smell of patchoula oil. Uh, now, my wife hates it, so I don't wear it much. Uh, but, but I love it when other people do it. It's like, oh, man, dude, you smell good. <laughs> you know? Or I love, I love the perfume obsession. Uh, you know, some of you women wear obsession. When you walk by, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that was, you know, it's like, I, you know, I don't, but, but you almost would like to follow them or something. They'll think you're stalking them. Or when I was a kid, I, my coach uh, used to always smoke this pipe. Uh, my coach in baseball, and he'd always be in the dugout, you know, hollering out instructions, but he smoked this pipe, and I used to like to hang out in the dugout just because I love the smell of, of pipe smoke. It's like, man, that smells good. Um, well, that's how it is when you're walking in love. People smell it. That's why the prostitutes and the tax collectors wanted to hang out with Jesus. He had this aroma about him. And, and, and when people are hungry, man, that smells good. They, they, they were around Jesus and, and, and they just smelled life. They smelled love. They smelled worth. They smelled acceptance. When you smell good before God, you're going to smell good to other people. And that attracts them to the kingdom of God. Conversely, you've been around people and so have I that don't smell quite so good. And you're not so attracted to them. In fact, you want to go in the other direction. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, when I was, um, my wife says I shouldn't use this analogy, but, but it, it works. Uh, but uh, uh, 25 years ago, I was assistant pastor at this church. And, uh, you know, I had to do everything the pastor didn't want to do. That's what assistant pastors did in these kind of churches. So he calls me up and he says, there's a lady who called the church and, and she wants, uh, you know, a ride to church. Will you pick her up? So I said, okay, sure. I got lost. I finally found her. We're half hour late. And I was, had to preach that day. So I was a little bit anxious and nervous. Uh, and, and I'm already late. So I finally find her house, pick her up. And as she's walking to the car, uh, I, I went out to, to get her, you know, knock on the door. And as we're walking to get out to the car, I smelled something funny. And to this day, I don't know what it was, but funny isn't quite the, the word I want to use. And we get in the car. Now, it was, a, it was, it was, this is in Connecticut. It was rather cold outside. It was winter, and it was win, uh, windy, and, and I, I still could pick up this odor. And when we got in that car without much ventilation and it's warm on the inside, it was, it, was, it was nasty. I don't know what her issue was, but there's something seriously wrong. It, it was like, ah, you know, to the point where I, I was having trouble breathing. Now, they, her and her son were used to it, but I was like, and so I'm trying to crack the window as I'm driving to church, you know, just to get a little air. You know, like, uh, 
By the time we get to the church, I'm like Ace Ventura with my head sticking out the window. Uh, air, need air. Uh, poor lady. I, you know, there's some, you know, I don't know what to think, but, but you know how it is when you're around that. See, it, 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 it violates your nostrils. That's what some things smell like to God. You know that? that that's what, things that hurt and destroy people, and that's what all sin is. It smells like that to God. Religion smells like that to God. When people get off on their own righteousness, it stinks before God. When, when people put themselves on a platform and rather than serving others in self-sacrificial love, they look down their noses at them, that stinks to God. That's why you find in the Old Testament. Well, God often said, when people's hearts were right, they made this animal sacrifice and God says, oh, that smells good. But you know it's not literal because there's other times when they made that same sacrifice and God said, it stinks. You read the Minor Prophets and God says, you know what, your, your sacrifices are odious to me. They're putrid. Uh, they disgust me because you're not living in love. You don't care about justice. You don't care about mercy. All you care about is your own rightness and your own religiosity, and that stinks before me. We are called to be the temples of God, which means we're supposed to smell like Jesus Christ, like beautiful incense in a world full of stench. We're called to be beautiful incense, and it will smell good to God, and it will smell good to people, and we're called to live in that. The center of, of the, the temple was about sacrifice. And our lives are supposed to characterize that. This is why, if we're thinking accurately, the offering, in our, in, in our, when we come together, the offering really is, from a, from, in terms of Old Testament typology, it's the center of worship. Some people, you know, clap when that happens, and other people think that that's some kind of ploy to get people to give more. No, it's just because that's the, the center of the worship, and, it, and it's considered an opportunity, a privilege. Paul calls it a privilege to give. When we come together, and here's the time where we don't just say what God means to us, we don't just you know, speak about what God means to us, we demonstrate what God means to us by sacrificing. Here's where we bleed together. And the degree of sacrifice is the extent to which it's something that smells good before God. You know, in America, we get funky about money. We, 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 we're paranoid about it because it's an idol. And, and we all cling to it. And so as soon as someone starts talking about money, as soon as the preacher starts talking about money, you know, mentally a lot of people start grabbing their wallet a little tighter because they're thinking, oh yeah, he, he just wants, he's just saying this to get more money from us. But I want to put you at ease here by telling you, you know what, I, I'm not working on a commission here, all right? <laughs> uh, it's not to my advantage. I say this only because it's the core of the kingdom. Um, we are, well, we're, we're, we're an aromatic smell, a good smell before God, only to the degree that it's costing us something to live as kingdom people. And it's not about the amount. It has nothing to do with the amount. It has to do with the bite, if you will, the sacrifice, what, what, what it costs us to give something. That's why the widow who put in a penny in the offering gave more than the wealthy people who put in thousands and maybe millions because the penny was all she had. And Jesus said, man, does she smell good. Because it came out of her gut, if you will. She, she gave that offering in blood. It's not about the, the, the cost. Or it's not about the amount. It's about what it costs us to give it. The question we need to ask as temple people, people who are the temple, is this. If it's true that I'm a temple and the, and the core of the temple is sacrifice, then the question is, how is my life different because I'm a temple than it would be if I wasn't a temple? How is my lifestyle different because I'm a temple than if I was a temple? 
What do I do differently because I'm a temple that I wouldn't do if I wasn't a temple? What do maybe I not own? Uh, and and what, I, you know, how do I steward my money differently because I'm a temple than I would if I wasn't a temple? What difference does being a disciple of Jesus Christ make in my life? How do I bleed for Jesus? And if the answer is, if we're honest with ourselves, not much, then you see that's not really being a temple. That's not a sacrifice. If the answer is not much, then it means we're giving out of convenience. And I'm not just talking about money here. We're giving the leftovers, and that's not something that smells good to God at all. Here's, here's, a, here's a kind of kingdom principle I'll share with you. Here's the kingdom principle, or a kingdom equation. It's not magic, it's just a principle. The degree of your sacrifice, the, the extent to which it alters how you live, the extent to which it, it pinches you, you have to adjust things uh, to do it. To that degree, it's a sweet-smelling odor, a sweet-smelling aroma before God. To that degree, you're going to walk in kingdom power, and only to that degree, because the power is wrapped up with the sacrifice. To that degree, you're going to experience a divine blessing. All that blessing stuff we, we talked about, it's God's response to us sacrificing. Uh, the, the, the blessing of getting free from the idol of money, for example. The, 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 the empowerment to live free from, from strongholds in our life. The empowerment to begin to experience the joy of, of God. And the blessing of finances. As God sees, we, he trusts us with a little, he puts us over much. So also that comes in proportion to the extent that we are sacrificing what we have now. And finally, the degree to which we experience the reality of God is affected by the degree of our sacrifice. In the Old Testament, here's the paradigm. When they offered up the sacrifice, God came down. Here's what he's, he's trying to get through to our heads. If you want to experience the reality of God, start, start living like Jesus, putting yourself on a cross. Start living in self-sacrificial love. Start bleeding individually and corporately for other people. That's what we're doing with our offering, and that's what we're to be doing in our life. And as you do that, you begin to grow in your awareness of God, the presence of God. Uh, you begin to experience what you believe. If you're one of these people that is, that, you know, you have a belief, but there doesn't seem to be any reality to it. You never really sense the power of God. You don't really walk in the joy of God. You don't really manifest the peace of God. You don't really sense the love of God. If that reality is gone, maybe one of the problems is that, in fact, you're, 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 you're doing the American thing. You're clinging to your stuff. Because to the extent that we just live self-centeredly and to the extent that we cling, to the extent that we, we, we just live for self to that degree, well, God, the reality of God's going to be absent to our life. But when you put yourself on the cross and live as a living sacrifice, when you start living as a temple, start, start exuding the aroma of self-sacrificial self love, the floodgates open. And I'm not saying that life is just, you know, you walk in unbroken presence of God and all that. I, I can't say that's true about me. But now you put yourself in a position where you can at times begin to experience all the things you believe in. That power, the, 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 the peace of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the anointing of God. The, the presence of God begins to flood your life. If you're not experiencing that, I encourage you to check and ask this question, are you dead? Have you sacrificed of yourself? Are you a, are you a walking, talking, burning stick of incense? Incense only smells like incense is supposed to smell when it's burning. So the question is, are you burning? Are you surrendered? Are you sacrificed? Are you doing what the temple is supposed to do? In your finances, in your relationship with your neighbors, in every area of your life. Close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, just challenge us with this. 
I want to challenge everybody in this auditorium. We're, at, we're all at different places in this, different degrees of freedom from the bondage of self-centeredness. I'm asking this question as the Holy Spirit's working in our life. Are you willing to go a step further? Whatever that means, I don't know, but God knows and he'll tell you. Will you surrender more of yourself to him? Sacrifice more of yourself to him right now than he already has. And maybe that you're really far along on this compared to other people, but compared to, there's no point in comparing with other people. That's irrelevant. There's always more to give. Are you willing to surrender more? Whatever he asks of you, he'll tell you if you'll listen. Whatever that looks like. For some, it's a bitterness that they're hanging on to or a malice they're hanging on to. For some, it may be their money or it may be possessions. For some, God may be saying, "Give." you can live without this and put the money to someplace else. For some, it may be something as simple as let your wife have her way more often than you're having it done now. I don't know what it looks like. But if you're willing to take that next step as the Holy Spirit's moving just before God, would you raise your hand as a, as a commitment before him? Raise your hand. You're willing to go one, one step further. All right, Holy Spirit, you see these hands that are raised. You see the hearts behind the hands. And Father, we ask that right now you draw us, empower us, Help us, Lord, to whatever degree we're living in self, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Right here, right now, Father, we ask you to draw us closer, to help us smell a little better, to look a little bit more like Jesus, to let go of stuff, to let go of emotions, to let go of attitudes that don't smell good, and that keep us from you. We surrender our life to you right here and right now. Have your way, Holy Spirit.